When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Scoutcast. My name is Joe. My name is Seb. Seb, what is coming up on the show? It's over. It's done. We never have to do it ever, ever, ever again until next year. <laughs> Game Week 38 has happened and we've all had great success or great failure or more likely somewhere in the middle. So we are going to take a little moment to reflect on our seasons, talk about lessons learned, what we can do better, what we, uh, what maybe we did well and continue keep doing hopefully for successful seasons next time around. We will also go and have a look at the community's thoughts, uh, celebrate some of their success, hopefully, a bit of a rough and the smooth, I believe, Joe. Mm. But first, a look at that final game week 38. Yes, we'll have a look at our teams. Um, just want to say hello to some of the people in the chat as well. Hello, Mario. Uh, 98,000 in the world and for his second season, pretty good. Um, and Soham um, got first season of playing FPL and got an 82k rank. Well done. Ooh. Very good. Um, let's see how we got on. So here's me, my final game week 38 um, score. I got 57. So I was pretty pleased with that. Um, I took Shaw out for Robertson. This is the second season in a row I've got Robertson in for the final day. In the second season in a row um, that he's done me proud. Um, he didn't score like he did last season. Uh, but I'll take it. Uh, eight points. Um, I fielded a whole 11. Um, the other option would be was to remove Fernandez for Mane, um, which would have got me, obviously, a few more points <laughs> there. But luckily, Salah um, got, got an assist. And even though Dallas lost a clean sheet, um, I had a flurry of assists, Son and Harrison and Kane got, got another assist as well. So I ended up with Pickford, Robertson, Phillips, Nat Phillips, who got me a goal previous week. Dallas, uh, Salah, my captain. Uh, Lingard, Son, Harrison, Wood, Kane, Antonio. And on my bench, absolutely nothing. Oh, Joe Ward got me one point. So I planned that well. Um, I was. This is what I was, I was aiming for, bizarrely. Um, so I was 93k, 92k. Um, and I wanted to retain because I've never finished outside the top 100k. So my mission was to do that and also stay within the Elite 64, which is the league that FPL General has set up um, for various veteran managers. Like uh, just showing off now, Joe. And uh, so I really wanted to stay there. Well, well, I was something like 47th and the only the top 50 out of the 64 stay in it. So I was always, I was always like three places. I think I had Az and a couple of others behind me. and uh, So it was, it was perilous. Um, but I knew by doing the Robertson move, it was it was fitting for me because I, I I was fairly certain that doing that, being able to field Lingard, who ended up blanking, um, but I was happy with the 11 I was going to go in with this with. I was happy they were going to play. I was happy I was going to get something from them. And I did get, I got returns from one, two, three, four, five, six out of my 11. So I can't, I can't complain about that. That's um, pretty solid. I mean, you probably achieved what I wanted to achieve, which was a, mm. a steady enough and solid finish to, you know, secure a, 
secure the position you wanted. Yeah, and um, and I said I said on Twitter just now um, that this was um, the season I'm proudest of. Okay, which I mean, so I put my career history up, and um, so I've had a few top ten k finishes, and I've finished in the top one k and top five k a few times. Um, so looking at that career history over the thirteen years, this has been my second worst. <laughs> But still, you know, 93K. But the one I'm most proud of, because um, b- before Christmas, I was 4 million. Um, I eventually got, even by game week 17, I was still outside the top 1 million. Um, and I, I've never been below 4 million. I've never been to that sort of depth before. And it's a, re- it's a different game to catch up, to play catch up. And you've got to do different things. And it sort of takes me out of my comfort zone. So I've had to do that. And uh, we'll talk about some of the lessons learned this season that I'll take take into next season. But one of those was um, stick being sensible, sticking with the template, but also taking risks with certain players. And this takes me back to a, a Meet the Manager video I did with Tom Freeman. And he always has, I think it was his fourth midfielder, it's always a risk. He has a fairly, you know, sensible template team. But his fourth midfielder is always someone, you know, teapots, <laughs> just completely mad. And um, and, and they're the one you, you're, you're banking on. So I, I, I tend to do that with a third striker. And that's where the likes of, say, Chris Wood came in um, and happened to time him for his, his rare 20-point return. But um, I'm, really, I'm really proud of this season, going for 4 million into the top 100k. Um, and I really didn't think it was going to be possible by about game week 33 or 4. I just, I didn't think I was going to achieve it. So I think that's a lesson for, for everyone, really. No matter where you come in the ranking, set yourself some kind of target. You know, even if it's top top million, top 500k, winning your mini league, getting in the top five of your mini league. Just set that sort of realistic target and then go for it. Um, you know, don't don't worry about getting, you know winning it <laughs> unless you know only one person can win it um so yeah i was quite i was quite pleased with that um so that's why um i'm most proud yeah, of it's, it's nice as well you set that target for yourself and you achieved it that yeah. must be very satisfying and last the season before just before we move on to your team the, the season before was actually my the one i'm least proud of because <laughs> the season before i got ex- almost yeah i got ninety three thousand, almost the same rank it's a completely different season i started like a rocket i stayed in the top 100k 50k for pretty much the whole season barely ever removed from it i was doing really well i should have kicked on kicked on and on and on and i didn't i just hovered went up 10k down 10k up to and by the end i just ended up with 93k um and it was a very frustrating season and I was very, I was, my plan for the season was derailed by COVID, like many people. So I wildcarded for all the lovely blanks and doubles that were planned and coming up. And then COVID happened and there was no football for three months. And everyone came back with a wildcard that I'd already used. Um, so it was a, a frustrating season. But this season I thought was, you know, hard. At, we'll come to it later, but, you know, hard at first. But by the end, I was, I was quite happy with that bit weird um so let's move on to your team so it's quite, yeah, so you should be mate but quite quite similar um you similar game 38 and, and a fairly similarish final rank as well so you got uh was it 40 49 was it 49 yeah 49 so yeah do you want to go through your, your team and sort of sure. what your decisions were 
Sure. Uh, Mendy with one point in goal, which was my transfer. I did Lloris to Mendy. I'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, Alexander Arnold at the back with five points, Luke Ayling with two, and Ricardo Pereira with zero. He was subbed in and then lost his sub point by conceding some goals. Salah captain with 12, uh, Diego Jota with one, obviously off the bench for Liverpool. Uh, Son with five, Rafina vice captain with five as well. Bamford with six off the bench. Antonio two and Kane 10. And then my bench is Forster, Gundogan, Shaw and Luca Dean. Uh, of which I think only one played and also got zero points. So for you, Joe, a perfect bench, right? Zero points across oh, the no, board. I love it. I, know, I saw that bench. I thought, <laughs> there, there it is. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty good, really. Um, I, I guess, you know, Mendy, yeah. That was oh, frustrating. Joe, so I, I, have a, I, have, I have a confession. The, the scout cast this year has got worse by exactly one point. <laughs> has beat me by one point. Ooh. And Lloris, I believe, did he get two points? On the final day, oh, and so Mendy got one. Oh. So my transfer cost me. I mean, not that anyone cares, because like I finished 137k and I was finished well, presumably about also 130k. Yeah. So it was, you know, I don't even think as knew he was in that race. Mm. It was just me uh, trying to catch him. But, you know. but um, but yeah, I managed to transfer myself out of that small amount of glory. Well, I know very frustrating. We did say, I mean, um, I actually thought, you know, I, I thought that Chelsea would need to score a lot. They couldn't, obviously, as it as it transpired, there's no way they could go into that with a 1-0 game plan. It's just not, not going to happen with Villa, um, especially with the home fans there. But but at the same time, I thought I thought it was possible. I thought Mend- Mendy was a better bet than Lloris. And... So the thinking was kind of, I had obviously a transfer to use and a few things. So Gundogan, who we presumed wouldn't play, Luke Shaw every chance. Obviously Pereira and Dean, both with poor fixtures or poor chance of playing. Uh, Yotta obviously came off the bench, but you know, not a good chance either. So there's a lot of things I could have done, all of which would have gone better. Um, honestly, I think, because when did we last speak? We spoke, mm. was it last Thursday? Something yeah. like that. Um, I just left it for like two days. I was like, mm. I don't want to think about this for two days. I will ruin my weekend. So I just left it until Sunday, until about half an hour before. Yeah. Just looked at my team and went, I can just move Lloris, who I don't think he's getting a clean sheet. To Mendy, who I think has a better chance of a clean sheet. And I did think Chelsea would go for the 1-0 win. Mm. And I think they probably did until the plan went wrong, um, which is, which I guess is what you're saying, right? You didn't think that would be a plausible plan. Mm. So I just made that very simple transfer, not exciting in by any means. Clearly, I should have done something with those midfielders. There's Joe Willock, who mentioned a couple of weeks ago and never got it in myself. He would have, uh, he would have secured me a healthy mm. 22 points or something yeah. over the last couple. Uh, and a few other options as well. But I don't really hate it. Like, I made the decision to just leave it you know see what happened on the last day make yeah. a pretty simple transfer i wasn't going to go and finish in 10k or anything like that so i was pretty happy just to chill out about it and well another difference this season why i prefer it to last season um the final day because they've moved the deadline so there weren't all these annoying leaks everywhere and i i actually would have been priced out of my shorter robertson move so i did that on a saturday i did that on the saturday and just left it because it because the more you, as you said the more you sort of think about it i didn't want to think about it too much I was thinking, oh, well, I might do something, and then, or I might get rumours about something else, and I might, and I just, I just wanted to leave it, and what, whatever, what will be, will be, um, with those, and I don't think there were, I don't think, trans, I don't think there were any mad rumours that were unfounded or anything like that. I think there were a few surprises, like Bamford, um, so yeah. Ben, what a legend though, his bench. They came, came on, but, came on, scored, and they get six right? points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, pretty good. Um, we got, we got a few rough with the smooths. Um, but oh, before we do that, I just want to put your career up as well. So I'll go for it. Put my one up as well. So we can see here. So you've gone gone from three hundred eighty ninth. So 
to 137,000. So so the, the, very, the very short answer to what lessons have we learned is do nothing I did this year and do everything I did last year. <laughs> yeah, so that's the thing. It, well, oh, we'll probably come to this, won't we? But is there one yeah. key thing that you did in 2019-20 that you didn't do in 2021? I mean, there's a, like, like you say, we'll come to it. There's a few things. Mm. But I really think a lot of people are going to have this conversation now, right, over mm. the next week, two weeks of like, what lessons can we learn? People will write articles. People will talk about it on Twitter. People will do podcasts. Yeah. And there's, there's some great education out there for what we can learn. But I also think there's a massive trap, which me and you are going to fall into on this mm. podcast. And that's saying, I did this thing and therefore I shouldn't do this thing next yeah, time. Yeah. It's not that simple. You know, you'll see people going, I took too many risks. I should be safer. Or I was too safe and I therefore should take too many you know, more risks. Well, both those statements probably can't be true unless they're coming from extremes and meeting in the middle. Realistically, each season is its own beast. And mm. the biggest mistake you can make is going right okay i'm going to set this rule for myself and do this thing next year because reasons mm -hmm. and then next year a pandemic hits or a pandemic doesn't hit or manchester city implode or liverpool lose their star center back the key is to be flexible the yeah. best fantasy managers out there aren't the ones that have sets of rules they're the ones that adapt to situations that, that's the that's only what, way to I, be consistently good before, before we came on air that's what i was sort of trying to say because i was saying about oh i have a rule i didn't play to my rules but that is my rule be as construct your team so it's as flexible as possible because you don't know what's going to come and that's why i there are certain flexibilities that you can give yourself and that and one of those is get the most expensive player in each position as long as it's credible one year i remember robin van persie was 14 million at manchester united and i went nope you're out not interested because he had that one good season there and then his next season was that and if it's realistic then do that because then you can always move down and um but there are other expensive options i mean we'll come on to obviously a bit of that as well in, in the uh in later but we were talking about how it's interesting how in game week one we're often all relatively cautious when realistically that's probably the time to be most adventurous yeah, and that's yeah. personal you know adventurism is personal to you whatever that means but if there's ever a time to take a 12 point hit it's game week two when you have the entire season to make it up <laughs> I know, I know. no data yeah. Positions yeah. might be changing, you know, new transfers are coming in. That's the time to really shake things up. And actually, we saw the opposite. We see people towards the end of the season start I, going, oh, well, I'll just do random I things. People taking you hits. have the minimum amount of time for it to Ga come off then. Game week 38, they were taking a, you know, a hit. And I was thinking, well, okay, you might make that back. But, I mean, I, t I took a, an eight-point hit two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Uh, no, three weeks ago. I made, I made it up that, that week. And so everything else was clear profit from those moves. But you can't do that in Game Week 38. It was just, yeah. And I did see that a lot. And, you know, I, I considered it some uh, sometimes. And I think I might have, only, the moves yeah. I was considering may have only just broken even. And obviously sometimes, like Robertson, for example, is not was not a player that, like, everyone's going, ooh, get Robertson in. But sometimes these little eight points here and there, that's, that's what you want. I mean, we've got some really good examples in the chat at the moment of just, you know, people talking about yeah. maybe their rules or things they can learn. All of those are super valid. But again, I think just to hop back to what I said a moment ago, the thing there is not to go. So, for example, the one here is a good bench. Well, what about what about if next year we yeah. have no cancelled fixtures? There's not not many rotation surprises, no huge injuries or anything. Then bench is wasting your money. Yeah. I think for me, the lesson there isn't to have a good bench; it's to be prepared to have the appropriate bench yeah. for the season. So it's not about setting a rule that you hold too fast. It's about learning how to analyze the situation and thus respond. Mm. And cool, have like this backlog yeah. of like, if you like, you know, oh, in this situation, I roll out this strategy. That's all good. 
but don't decide on the strategy before you're aware of what the situation is. You know, if we were going into war, we wouldn't just go, well, we always use a phalanx or whatever. So we'll do that. So what happens if you're on mountainous terrain? About, you need to change It's about that. being flexible. So if you have on your bench, if your bench is um, a 4.5 midfielder, say Basuma, two, you know, Ferguson and Mitchell, the four million guys at Palace and Steele at Villa, you know, four million. So you've got ultra cheap. You don't plan to use your bench. But that that doesn't give you the flex. That could work out. That could be brilliant. That could be the strategy. You could pile the money into your 11 and fine. But I think it pays to be more flexible and so have a bit more money on the bench so that you can just move down to a Ferguson or a Mitchell if you want or a Steel at Villa or those kinds of things. And and don't get me wrong, me obviously saying like, you know, oh, all your rules are terrible. You should have no rules is super unhelpful. So that's Mm. not what I'm saying. It's about employing a strategy. And I mean, I'd like to have a quick word on a couple of ranks that I think are interesting. Yeah. But just a, another one in the chat, which I really like. I, I'll stop calling these out. But um, like Timo Werner, for example, people saying, oh, that was too adventurous. I shouldn't have gone for Timo Werner, an unknown player. Well, what if you'd had that strategy with Mo Salah a few years ago, mm. who came in and scored yeah. 30 goals or whatever it was? My point is that neither of those are correct. You know, it let you down with Timo Werner. It would have done you really well with Salah. It's not about having that rule. It's about adapting it when yeah. you get the information presented to you. It, so, you know, the mistake able... might have been holding on to Werner, not yeah. picking him in the first place. It's, it's, it, 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 and if he bangs in game week one, get him in. And if you've got a flexible setup, you can do that within, within And I know that's, well, that's one of your things, isn't it? Yeah. Flexible setup. And you, you can, can move, move in a few on directions. to it. And yeah, we all want... I, well, I, I started with Werner. We'll come to our game week one side shortly. But I started with Werner and... Um, in the end, across the season, he actually wasn't too bad, but he was overpriced. Um, but I expected him to be a Michu or a Salah, and he wasn't. Yeah. But if he um, if he was, and I didn't own him, I'd want about to get him in. I mean, I'd love to talk about targets for next season. I mean, I know it's a bit early. Sorry, sorry, people. But targets for next season, Timo Werner would be up there for me. Mm-hmm. But um, just before we move on, I just wanted to talk about a few of the ranks there. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, like everyone, I have the same story of like, you know, oh, I wasn't paying it. You know, what was it? 2000 and 2007 there when I first started? I was 17. I wasn't paying attention. Terrible, mm-hmm. whatever. I- I'm not going to tell you that story. You know, I did how I did. And that's the way it goes. Oh, did you do but- better when you were 17 than you did this season? Uh, 137,000 is base. I mean, I've got a 420 and a 356 when I was like at uni and not playing. 137,000 is my worst for a decade. But your first, that is the your, worst I've done in 10 years. But your first season, 124,000 is not bad for a first season. Although there was probably 125,000. Yeah, there's only four people. Um, <laughs> but I mean, so, so like, obviously, you know, everyone has that thing where like, well, I was at uni when I finished 400,000. I was drunk half the, t- half the time. That is both true and also tough. Because we all have that story, therefore we're all about even. The things that are interesting to me, though, is so a couple of years ago in 2018-19, I think it was 14,000 finished. Hmm. I was 200th at Christmas that year. Whoa. And so that's a frustrating I season. I, I didn't use my triple captainship at all, all season. I forgot to use it on the last mm-hmm. day. The reason for that, I mean, I don't mean it's a bad thing, not a good thing. I, um, the reason for that is, I think I've said it a few times, but until very recently... I was always about mini leagues. Uh, I'm in, in a few of them, you know, the family one for years and years. And that was, that's what got me into FPL. Obviously there's some decent overall rank finishes in there. And don't get me wrong, you know, when you're high in the ranks, of course you pay attention. I'm not going to pretend I'm not, you know, so, so humble that I don't pay attention. That's nonsense. But for me, the thing has been winning the mini leagues. Now I haven't won my mini leagues this year either. It's just been bad everywhere. You know, work, friends, uh, the family one. Oh, I did win the family one actually, but different story. 
But what got me into FPL was the Family Mini League. And for those first few years, you know, first four or five or whatever, my dad won every single season. So the thing that drove me was not overall rank, was not overall strategy. It was beating my dad. And so that meant doing those things like, you know, having different players to him. Or if he had a strong midfield, if I was too far back, go for attack or whatever. I finally flipped that and hadn't lost to my dad in a, I don't think I've lost to him since actually, so about 12 years. My brother's in that league as well. And uh, my brother is one of those that does amazing and then forgets about it for the second half of the season. He's probably a better fantasy manager than me. He just forgets to do it. But he has only won it once in about a decade. And that was that 14,000 season. I was 200th. He overtook me. I took my eye off the ball. And then that led to the last week of the season, not using triple captain, because I was, I think he finished about 5,000th. I was so many points behind him that I was like, oh, well, it's just fantasy now. It doesn't matter, whatever. The final week I've set it up forgot to use my triple captain so you know not this story is not to go oh i went from 200 to 14,000. it's more about the approach to it and everyone will have those stories and i think that's almost more informative than what our overall rank is because there'll be a winner out there someone who was one fbl who has never finished inside i don't know the top 500,000 before or after you know we can all be lucky or we can all in inverted commas take it seriously one year I don't think it's about that. I think it's about what our goals are, overall rank, mini leagues, whatever, learning from it, having fun, deploying strategies. That's the interesting bit to me. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, and also there are there are certain instances in a season that can just derail it. So I spoke about the me using an early wild card and it, and it was a perfect plan, I thought. Um, but, you know, I couldn't have predicted a pandemic. <laughs> um, and the season before, I think, or it could have been that, that season. It was the one where... Um, people were either Captain Mane, triple Captain Mane or Salah. Mane got injured after about a minute. Salah went on to have a massive haul. And, oh, yeah. I was on the good side. I was on the yeah. bad side of that. Yeah. And it's that kind of thing. It's like getting, um, you know, penalty decision doesn't even, it sort of derails you. You know, it can, it can, um, it doesn't knock your confidence as such, but it's just sort, of, it sort of derails your plans and yeah. derails, you know, what, what you're, what you're, what you're hoping to achieve. Um, yeah. I mean, there's so, there's so much luck in FPL, and I would say the skill is consistency. Mm. Skill is not winning it. Skill is, well, dare I say you, Joe, never finishing outside the top 100k. Mm. That is consistent and skillful. You have to have some skill to do that, or you're the luckiest person in FPL. Maybe that's true, but I don't believe it. And then I think the strategy we employ is kind of a modifier on that. So to use, I don't know, who's like Super Maverick? Um, well, Granville back in the day, maybe Late Riser now? Late Riser. I think Late... I'm sure Late Riser won't mind me saying he's had probably his worst season in a very long time. Part of that is because his strategy is, you know, if his mean finish is, say, give or take 50K, but his strategy is to really try and push that to the limits. So when he does well, when things fall in his favour, there's a lot of luck in his strategy, but he plays for the luck. He'll finish in the top 100 instead of 20K or something. When it goes badly, he'll finish 600,000 or whatever it is. And that's because his strategy allows a very, very wide margin of error. There'll be other people, and maybe you're a good example of this, Joe, where you know your standard deviation from your average finish will be quite narrow. But that's because the strategy you employ tries to remove a lot of the variance around the edges. But you know, in terms of skill, you could both be quite similar. But one of you steers into the high standard de- deviation, and one steers away from it. Yeah, I mean, I always, I think, I think with late riser strategy, is it's basically either win it or get a million. I mean, variations of that, but he'll either be in the top hundred. Or, or you know, as he did this season, not not so well. But that's because he takes those risks there. But I don't yeah. know if my strategy will ever get me into the top hundred. I've had one top one thousand finish, 
Um, but, but pushing on to that that top hundred yeah. um, is another. And thing. on that last last point in the chat from Marco Leary, and take your point on Werner as well. He says, you know, we didn't have to start with him. It's about identifying it. Completely agree. Uh, he just mentioned separate the decision and the outcome. I know that's a bit of a meme, but it's so true, right? You know, yeah. you can have some real solid reasoning, and it doesn't come off. It's important not to throw out the reasoning because of outcome. It's important to you know identify strategy and dissect that, not the outcome. Um, before we move on to some of the lessons that we've learned from this season and also, you know, just in general about FPL, um, just to mention a few rough with the smooths. I'm just going to go with smooths, you know, just being kind at the moment. And uh, Late Riser, who we just mentioned, is known for his late rising maverick skills and um, usually does well in the second half of the season. And so it's transpired. He's, he's overcome um, a lot of, a lot of uh, misfortune early on. And he and Karen scoutcast regular Karen they both got Aguero in and captained him many many people did that out of sentimentality I love so much that that came off and it, and it, I, I didn't have the cojones but I love so much that were, that came off they had nothing to lose and they wanted to do it and Aguero is a player that both for both of them whether it be City fan or as an FPL manager had, had, had meant a lot to them and so they did that and uh, and it worked out you know got a lovely haul from them. Um, just want to mention uh, Brimble82, who got Kane and Willikin. A lot of people were transferring Kane out. He not only got Kane in and Willikin uh, for Bruno uh, Fernandez and Calvert-Lewin. So a, a very nice return there. A lovely way to finish the season. And Amy, I've got to mention it, she's the best. Triple captained Joe Willock. You talk about your triple captain chip. She left her triple captain chip for Game Week 38, decided to be like, oh, I'm just going to use it, you know, whatever. Oh, and I adore that. Who will, so I, who will I put it on? Who would triple captain Joe Willock in Game Week 38? Well that's done. So I mean, that's amazing. That's we good. speak about FBL, you know, we speak about it very seriously, but end of the day, it's a fun game. Saving that triple captain for the last week is the way. That's that's so good. There is, there is no, um, uh, nothing more fun than captaining Joe Willock on Game Week 38. And it triple captain and it coming off. Um, so yeah, we're going to move on to some lessons learned. So what we do is we're going to look at our teams and like when people tell you about their dream the previous night, we don't want to dwell too much on the because people start glazing over a bit. <laughs> but we'll, we'll hopefully relate. We'll, what we do is we'll relate it to um, you know what other people have been going through um, during the season. Um, and and I've seen a lot of people. Um, I think I think I'm. Um, as may have mentioned it on Twitter as well, been a similar thing to me this season. With the first half of the season absolutely diabolical, <laughs> second half of the season much better, much much better. Um, so for me, my lessons learned is sort of halfway through. Um, I'm I'm pretty happy with my last half of the season. The first half, well, it was four million, a million, but the second half, I only got a couple of red arrows, all virtually all greens, and ended up sort of. Um, not where I wanted to from the start, but, you know, by then, relatively, yeah, top 100k, I'll take that. Um, so, yeah, um, game weeks 1 to 17, which is up to January the 1st, my average weekly score was 59. Now, back in the day, that was good. Um, an average score of 59 would get you a very high rank. Um, by then, I was outside the top million. That was um, nothing. But game weeks 18 to 38... My average weekly score, and yes, this is, you know, the double game weeks, the use of chips as well, really bumps it up. But it was 68. So 60, I was getting on for nearly 70 points a week on average. Um, and so you're beefed up by the chips and double game weeks. So that showed that I planned around those well. I indeed got 
uh, I got extra points successfully for my free hit and bench boost. Not my triple captain. I captain Salah again, um, and that that didn't work out. But for the rest of those and my second wild card, that worked a treat as well. Um, involved getting players like Chris Wood in um, and uh, addressed lots of problems. I took ten hits a season, so it's forty points cost me, um, and that's about three more than I usually spend. I usually a sort of six seven. Um, I don't. I think you need to take hits every now and again. But I think ten was a little bit higher than I should have done, and that I, I, that... I found I used a lot this year as well. I think there was something. I mean, obviously, right? You know, postponed matches, weirdness. But there was definitely something about this season which led us into needing yeah. to knee-jerk players around a bit more. Um, and this is something other people can do. Have a look at your game week one side. Get a bucket because you might be sick. But <laughs> here's my one. <laughs> so I got, and it's less than score so I actually got a, a little bit above average so I got 55 um, points and the average was 50 that week so it's quite a high scoring week um, the problem is it with it is I didn't we talked about rules I, there are certain rules that I've used in all of those seasons where I did well and I didn't use them this time and, and the key rule as we mentioned is being flexible and I didn't do it. And I don't know what was going on through my tiny little brain. <laughs> because I got Robertson, Alexander-Arnold, Eric Dyer. Okay, yeah, Eric Dyer. Um, Walker-Peters and Mitchell. So I had, I had a spread there. But why did I have Robertson and Alexander-Arnold? I should have just got one in. And I could have used that money elsewhere. I don't know why I did that. Um, at, at the beginning of the season, it was a popular strategy. I had Robertson and Alexander Arnold as well, and it worked very well the year before. I had yeah. both of them almost the entire so I was, season. I was using a rule from the previous season, expecting it to all happen again, and it didn't. And in my midfield, I had Suchek, Abamyang, Salah, and St. Maximin. So out of those, I was fine with Suchek. I thought he was a really handy first sub. Trouble is, in my setup, I had to play him every week. And although he did quite well some weeks, not every week. Abamiao was happy with, worth a go. Salah, he was the guy to captain. If I'd have captained him, I'd have got about six points more. Because Abamiao did okay as well. Uh, or was it six points? No, I would have got uh, over ten points more. But up front, I had Adams and Werner. Werner's worth a go. But going back, I think it was uh, Mark who said in the chat um, that um, I should have gone for like Harry Kane for example just a tried and tested player with pedigree who's expensive and if Harry Kane hadn't done well and Werner had game week two or three I'll just move him just get him switch him around make that move but Werner I mean, to so Harry you Kane you need an extra two million you say that though but game week one Harry Kane played Everton mm. at home and lost 1-0 got two points yeah. Timo Werner got was it did he get an assist in the first place? He got five yeah. points. So you, in theory, could have done started with Harry Kane and moved him to Timo Werner, and then the next week Harry Kane got twenty-one <laughs> points. But so I don't know about that. Well, I wouldn't have made the move after one week for a start. Okay. Because of Harry Kane's, you know, pedigree over many years of doing well. So say for example, looking back, what would I have done differently? So obviously this is some with hindsight, but the reason I flagged up my game at one side is because. It's completely uneven. And one thing I've often done, get the most expensive defender, most expensive midfielder, most expensive striker. And if you're wrong, move down. If you're right, 
great. And the problem I have is that if you're wrong, like I was about something, you can't move away. And I had too much in defence. And so I'm going to be, I'm going to go sort of back to basics for me. And I'm going to have and try and employ the most flexible system I have. Um, the thing about, say, Kane, I would have given him an extra extra week or two because it, it's Kane. He's special. Like Salah's special. Fernandez is special. These are top players. Um, and then move to Werner. And it, Werner didn't quite do what I hoped he would. But by then I could not get to Kane. For example, yeah. towards the end of this season, I couldn't get to Alexander-Arnold. In the end, it was OK. Nat Phillips scored a goal. Robertson ended up being being the better game of thirty eight. But how much of that do you think is hindsight though? So you could definitely be right, but trying to so the two expensive defenders there, I guess those were maybe where you were putting your money. So you could have downgraded one of them and gone up. I don't know. Would downgrading one of them maybe got you Harry Kane for Timo Werner? It probably would have done. If I remember, Mm. were Chelsea's fixtures quite appealing at the beginning? So I feel like I I mean I I had Timo Werner as well. I remember there was a lot of talk about. I think some people had Timo Werner and Kai Havertz. I feel like there's maybe a little bit of hindsight there where you now know Timo Werner well, has done I, poorly. I don't think there is because the it's, the same, it's the same principle that I've been saying since game week 31 and everyone, all the guests we've had on the Scoutcast and every other content I hear, Alexander-Arnold, you've got to get him in. He's essential. I think you've said it as well about Alexander-Arnold. Get him in. Oh, the uh, last few weeks I really enjoyed and, him, yeah. And, um, and I didn't get him in at all. But somehow went up a bit on the rankings there. But at the same time, I would have loved to have got him in. I would have loved to have experienced the Alexander-Arnold points towards the end. But I found it difficult because you've got to do other issues. You get injuries and there's other moves. And you've also, at the same time, you've got to move around the, the fixtures as well. And, you know, like towards the end of this season, Liverpool are great, great end fixtures. Um, you know, Leicester tailed off a bit. And as it transpired, their performances tailed off as well. Their form followed the fixtures. Um but the biggest error I made with this team, and at the time I thought it was a good idea, and so we can look at it with hindsight, but there is, is a rule here that I didn't follow, and that is to play the game week in front of you. Plan ahead, but don't forget the game week in front of you. So what I did here, on my bench I had Martial, Manchester United missed game week one. I thought I'd be a clever old so-and-so. And I've got Martial, who everyone will want to get in for game week two, already there. So I'm a, I'm a step ahead and I can make another move. That could have worked out. But also there is the risk of not working out. What ideally I should have done is just wait and see. Especially if a team's missing game week one um, because they're arriving late for some back. So we've got to watch players who are arriving back to the Premier League from the, the various international competitions they're taking part in got to be a little bit careful and I didn't and Martial just you know all season really injuries not not fulfilling the promise and so there is an element of hindsight but I think in this uh, it is an example of not following um, a flexibility that I should have had really um yeah I don't I I, I look at that Martial I think is the that was the blunder that was the big blunder there because there was a lot of yeah. money in that. There's a lot of money. I'm not messing around with a five million player there. That's a what was he nine, nine and a half? Yeah, I, I had a similar, I had a similar story to you with that idea of having that game week one plan. I remember because City and United weren't playing, so we all mm. had various plans to get their players. Especially Man United ended yeah. project restart pretty well. Marshall, I know he's a midfielder last time, but I believe 
had done i know he did well in the beginning of last season i don't i can't remember how he ended it but a lot of us had plans for for example marshall or or fernandez whatever i had kdb in my sights of, of course i did um and executing towards that despite you know environmental stuff around us telling us not to you know they maybe didn't perform as well as they mm. could have done they could have looked tired or you know whatever you want there maybe sticking too rigidly to that could have been one of my mistakes although i mean i guess we'll look at my game yeah. one team in a minute but I think for me, dare I say, a little bit of overconfidence coming off, yeah. you know, a very yeah. healthy finish in the previous season, going, here's my strategy and I will execute because I'm smart and I know best. Well, turns out I'm not and I don't. And my first mistake, I had a good game week one, although a bit lucky. My first mistake was continuing to execute a plan that was possibly falling apart around me. I'll just put my career up again because that exact same point there. Um so 2015, 16, one, two, three, four, had my fifth top 5k finish in a row. I was cock of the walk. <laughs> yeah, and that's then impressive. I got 82,000 and that was a dreadful season. And that was, that was about as high as I ever got that season. And then I was humbled rightly. And then I came back and I got top 2k the next year. So I just use that as an example, exactly what you were just saying there. And chances are, if you follow that pattern, you'll come back with a really strong finish this time around. You see it so many times. Experienced managers like yourself have a bad season. They'll come back better the next one. Um, but it's very difficult to maintain really good ranks like that That period I did there. Um, I think I think I compounded mine. I think it was... And no, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to lean on the, oh, I was unlucky because that's not true. Yeah. There were certainly some parts of, unlu- uh, of, uh, of bad luck. But also, I think I compounded it with poor decisions on my part and then having a few things go against what yeah. I wished they would. And thus, those two led to me being, what well, I finished 130, well, 140k, really. Um, but I was 400,000 not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Similar to yourself, you know, I yeah. I vaguely remember thinking 1.5 million at one point, you know, after a few weeks as well. There was a lot of recovery to do. And I certainly fell into that, yeah. making bad decisions, things not going my way and then compounding it with poor reactions yeah. to that as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just wanted to just move on uh, um, away from the game week one chat. I think with game week one, it doesn't, in a way, it doesn't matter if you get a poor score in game week one. You get a terrible rank, a terrible score in game week one. It's the players that you've got. Because the problem with this game week one team is they were poor players and poor flexibility in my formation for weeks to come. And I was always playing catch up. And you see it a lot in game week one can be a bit um bit strange sometimes. And then but I I wasn't set up well for game week two. I thought I was, but I wasn't really. And um I think that's that's the issue there. But I want to be more positive instead of like, ooh, I'm such a martyr for my score. Um I wanna look at um some of the things that went right. Because I thought a few things a lot of things went right um this season. And I've used a few tools for this, so FPL optimized tool. Um, is one I've looked at this one and this is this calculated my best team over the season ones who got me the most points and I think there's a lot of positives from this so this according to this um, uh, Edison John Stones Dallas Justin uh, Fernandez Salah Gundogan Suchek Kane Bamford Calvert-Lewin and and meanwhile um, on my bench there so also you know also Rands uh, Kufal Robertson and Son and McCarthy at Southampton. And I think there's a lot to like about this because it shows for Fernandez and Salah and Kane all over, well over 250 points I got for each of those. So it shows that not only did I have 
these good scoring players for when they got their good scores, I captained them too. I got Gundogan and Stones in at, clearly at the right time. Um, Dallas, I could have had a bit more of him, but at least I had some Dallas. James Justin, I could have had more James Justin, but at least I had some of it. Edison, I never, I, I very rarely go for one expensive goalkeeper. The period I had Edison in, he was magical, just a clean sheet every week. And I don't know why I was messing around with these 4.5 lads uh, previously. It's, I don't necessarily am going to do that again, but for that specific period of the season, I did really well there. I had a bit of I think, I think that was a nice shout. I remember you yeah. talking about it. And I think, like you say, normally expensive goalkeepers aren't the way. Yeah. But I think with the way Man City's defence was shaping up, with the other goalkeeping options, I think that was a really nice decision. Well, it's like you were saying about rules. There's no rules. I always go for two cheap goalkeepers. I'm going back to my game with one side. Look, I didn't do it this time. I got Ryan and Walton. I went for a sort of a, a Brighton double. I was locked into Brighton. As it turns out, they were third and fourth choice Brighton goalkeepers anyway. And... Um, so I think I will be more flexible and either just go for an Edison or um, get to, you know, reasonable 4.5, a 5 million goalkeeper. Just you more... know, my favourite thing on your team is Suchek's 85. And yeah. I know you mentioned earlier, maybe, yeah. you know, maybe you're putting yourself down a bit there, but he was your fourth mid, maybe not quite perfect for you. But I remember you holding him for a very long time. And then having to use him because not having a better option mm. on the bench and basically getting all of his points. I also had Suchek for a while. He was in my game week one team. And you know, his the last few seasons, he basically gets a goal on average every three mm. games. I don't think he scored for the first five or six weeks. And I very quickly lost patience with that and benched him or whatever. And I had the opposite experience to you. Well, mm. I benched all his good points or even transferred him out. Whereas I think you, I know, you, again, you said you weren't a massive fan of it, but I think it worked really nicely for you. You just sat him there which is exactly what he's meant to do. Yeah. He is meant to sit there for 10 weeks and average three goals over that yeah. time. They could be three in a row or, you know, the first, the fifth and the 10th game. That's not the point. The point is you soak them up over a period yeah. of time and it allows you to do other things with your squad. I think you played that nicely. I, 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 what I didn't like about him in, is that it, it created a lack of flexibility. I was forced to play him every week. But what I did like, the outcome, is one of those outcome decision things. It's not something I'm particularly keen on. But the, but the outcome ended up being great because, as you said, yeah, everyone's going, oh, I've benched Suchek's goal again. And I was like, well, I'm playing him every week. I have to. <laughs> See, it's either him or Basuma or Mitchell <laughs> at Palace. So, um, yeah, there is something to be said about that. And that goes back to Kapu at Watford. If you remember, he had a similar thing. Five million um, midfielder or 4.5, I think. Even. Oh, his start to the season was legendary. And he it? scored every match. <laughs> and everyone's going, what the hell? Um, it yeah. was it was the Sue check of London. Uh, well, that, mu- that might have been that might have been before we paid too much North attention London, to XG, or at least <laughs> uh, yeah, that might have been too much. You know, before at least before I was looking at XG much. But I vaguely recall a lot of his goals being like one shot, one goal. Yeah, yeah. It definitely feels like one of those. I mean, I don't think I had him for that reason. I remember watching it and being like, "This isn't sustainable. Shall avoid." And I mean, hey, there's a pattern here, right? I avoid players that let's say get their returns based on lower percentages which maybe there's something to be said for me there and you know i need to improve on that but generally i like to steer into higher probability plays and and other positives from this um is everyone always says make money make money there's there's a lot of um you know everyone's always trying to make money make early transfers to get the money or i'm going to need that money when i wildcard i'm going to consistently this season i have been forced to get the cheaper player because i didn't have enough money and consistently this season, that's paid off for me. 
Do you think that's just this season, or is that something you'd carry that on going forward? Multiple seasons. <laughs> okay. Um, See, I, I I normally find the opposite, where I no. I go very hard early on to preserve and build transfer value, and often it ends. I spoke about the family league yeah. earlier. By the end of the season, I'll get to the point where in the family league I can afford, you know, basically an extra premium over over my family members, which is what secures the win for me. Because yeah. if I don't know De Bruyne, Fernandez, Salah, and Kane are all going off, I could have all four, for example. There, when there they are can't. certain players, obviously, you don't want to you don't want to mess around with your Canes, your Fernandez, Salas, but. I couldn't get Cancelo, so I got Stones in. And Stones went on this incredible goal-scoring run, plus the clean sheets that all the City defenders, plus he was escaping rotation at that time. Um, and a similar thing happened with, well, the last last game of the season. I kept that tradition going. Robertson, got Robertson in. Um, because I couldn't afford Alexander-Arnold. If I'd have got Alexander-Arnold, I'd have been three points down and possibly outside the top 100k. I don't know. I haven't looked at the points um, exactly, but I certainly would have been on less points. So there are examples where that has has happened, and it's not necessarily a particular rule. That's just something that happened this season. That those John Stones. Um, I, just, I always laugh with um, who is it? Uh, Randy, what's he called? Um, Randy Shafter on um, Twitter. He's he was <laughs> famously swears because he because because he hasn't got John Stones, and John Stones was always punishing him each week. And, um, did he did he score two? Was it in the double? He scored two goals. Yeah, and he scored that two goals in the double game week. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so I had him, and so I was pleased about that. Um, so there there are more positives there. Um, uh, also, I was having a look at this uh, website. The average formation I picked, which was twenty four times, so the most I picked was three four three, and that averaged sixty four points. So my average formation three four three, and I averaged sixty four points. By my most successful, outside of enforced ones through benchings and double game weeks and things, was 3-5-2, where I averaged 70 points. But I only used that four times. It's possible, it's it's logical even, that I would have got slightly more points. And this could be enough to win or lose a mini-league, or get in the top 10k, 50k or 100k, whatever. Um, it's getting that extra five or six points average every week. Because logically, midfielders get more than strikers. Logically, there are more a lot. Midfielders are increasingly those that are classified as midfielders increasingly deployed as strikers. Antonio, for example, um, and I look at that and I think I think I will look to a three-five-two more often than a three-four-three, because I think logically there's simply more points in it, and a lot will depend on. The players you can get but i think i've got a bit hung up on oh i can't get a credible 4.5 striker but i can get say basuma a 4.5 midfielder i think i've got a bit hung up on that just get a five a five million striker even or get a non-playing four not non-playing one get a get a, che- a very cheap striker and have him as your first sub and three five two i think i think there's more choice in midfield and i think there's going to be i think the pool of strikers is increasingly poor really compared to midfielders yeah i mean as you say it's obviously going to depend on the available personnel we have and the budget we can assign to that but similarly like you i had three four three most often but three five two was my most profitable just i had a four, very good four three three as well only one point further behind on the average but typically over over the history of my time playing fpl i preferred three five two when yeah. i can 
because I think the most opportunity for points exists in midfield. Exactly. Someone like Alexander-Arnold maybe pops that, but you can have him in a 3-5-2. Yeah. Of course, you know, this is going to be situation dependent. This is not one of those ones to write a rule. I think it's maybe just, if you have the opportunity, go for it. Yeah, no, I think so. I think I'm going to be using 3-5-2 more often. And I think consistently, that's a picture that's appeared consistently across many campaigns. I don't think that was peculiar to this year. Because midfielders just get more points. You know, they, they at least get three points. If they do nothing and they don't concede, they get three points rather than two. Add that up over the season. And if that happens consistently, go an extra 38 points. That's a big difference. It probably depends really on just where we can find that, what do you reckon, like five, six million pound player? You know, yeah. is there a is there a starting... Uh, Callum Wilson, when he was at Bournemouth, he was probably about five, six million. And I think he scored some good goals at the early part of that season. If he's an option, maybe there's the three, four, three for you. Mm. But if, um, oh goodness, I don't know who's a good midfielder one. I mean, maybe a Mason Mount sort of mm. price range, probably a bit expensive. If you can find good fourth and fifth midfielders, that leads you naturally into that formation. So of course it's dependent on personnel, but if the situation lines up, that probably is the most profitable formation. Yeah. And just find a bit on my team, because I've got a couple of, um, I'll, I'll finish off with a couple of overall lessons um, that aren't necessarily to do with my team, just in general. But here's the last bit of my team, and this is from the FPL Retro website, which is another tool to analyse your season. And this is on transfers. It just shows the number of hits I've taken. That cost me 40 points. Um, and it's got this nice tool here about your best and your worst transfer. Um, and I quite like this. This is another positive as well. My worst transfer all season was Jimenez and Harvey Barnes to Bamford and Son. And that cost me 10 points because that week Barnes scored a goal. Bamford and Son didn't. But then as the season went on, Bamford and Son proved far better options than Jimenez, who through you know got injured, and Barnes, who then later got injured and was also quite sporadic in his scoring. Um, so I feel ble- if that's the, my worst transfer all season, that's a, that's a success, I think. Um, the best transfer, this is where I got 24 points by moving Grealish and Ings out in game 26 to Son and Kane. Um, so I would have liked to have seen my best transfer to be better. Well, I'm quite happy with that. Um, but it's it's more a mediocre best transfer. Um, and total points I transferred in were nearly 300. And total points transferred out 78. So not often, far more often, my transfers worked out for me. And the net benefit from transfers, including hits, was 180. So transfers and playing the game rather than set and forget, leaving a ghost team, it actually worked out. I got 180 extra points um, by actually making moves. So that's quite nice as well that that um, the time you spend making transfers actually pays off. <laughs> um, but it would have been nice to have seen that a bit higher, but I'm quite reasonably happy with that. Um, a couple of overall lessons. This is not just about f- for me. This is um, everyone. I'll just put a picture of the top 10 uh, players uh, while I chat about this, so people can look at that. That's got the likes of Fernandez, Kane, Salah, Son, Bamford. Um, but overall lessons: avoid the noise, <laughs> and no one is essential. Um, I've headlined that. So basically, this is something that I've been doing over the season, and it's I've, I think I've referred to it as being casual, and, and I think people misinterpret that as like just not doing anything, and it's not. It's cutting down the noise. Is cutting down or the amount of content and information that you're getting and just home in and go for quality over quantity. If you look at your Twitter feed, if you're following more than about 200, 300 people, cut. 
if you see things that are mentioned on Twitter or forums you just don't agree with, doesn't chime with you, just mute them. <laughs> and people are too scared to use these tools on social media. Just cut down on the noise. It's too much information. I mean, I have to deal already, you know, on my Facebook thing and whatever, on WhatsApp. I've got friends of mine who are posting pictures of their blooming dinner and their what they're drinking. And so I've got about 20 people's meals in my head. I, I mean, that's too much to deal with as it is, but let alone you're so, you're so ruthless. 2000 people's views about a transfer in. And it's just, it's too much. You can't, you can't deal with that amount of information. So don't get, don't get consumed by the clamor, this, this sort of fear of missing out. Don't get consumed by one player. So ignore, you know, ignore that as best as you can. Um, and it's, it's tough to do. But you know, just cut away, cut away all the, all the, all the, you know, noise. Just get, get rid of it all. Um, so, and the other uh, one, Joe, a, cu- a couple of people just asking what site you're using for this. For this one here, the one that's on the screen. Uh, for the two pieces of information we've shared so far. Ah, right here. Yes, sorry. The the ones that I use about transfers, and we um, we've got for you, for when we go to your team as well, we've got the similar similar screen. So FPL Retro. Is very good. A whole bunch of tools on there, and FPL optimized. Both of those um, do have a search search for them, you know, on Google, and also have a look on Twitter for them. But they're both very good tools that um, are used. It's just very. Um, it's all talk about cutting down on the noise. Um, it's just nice layout, nice and graphic, just nice and nice to nice to have a look at. Um, so yeah, cut down on the noise, and also the could other I, one. Is something. Could sorry. I? I'm just going to want to add add a point to that, if I may, if that's all right. Um, I was just thinking, and again, prompted my Marco Leary in the chat, so thank you again for that. I wonder if, and I don't mean you, I mean anyone, you often go to social media with an agenda, even if you don't mm. know you are. So we've spoken a few times, thinking fast and slow. We spoke about that a little while ago. But like, you'll already know possibly what you want to do, mm. and then you go to Twitter looking for confirmation, which means you'll confirmation bias yourself into doing it anyway. You'll listen to the things that affirm your point of view, and you will ignore the things mm. that reject your point of view which is not the point of having this information no. available to you on Twitter. I think, obviously, you know, the opposite as well. If you don't know what you're going to do and then you get six million opinions, which I guess is more what you're saying, that's also not helpful. I think, for me, the thing I like about having lots of opposing opinions on Twitter, and of course, you do need to be able to filter that out. So maybe that means you don't look at it too often or you don't look at it right before the deadline, is I like it giving me ideas that I hadn't thought of. Mm. So I'll certainly have a thing I know I want to do. Within seconds, we all know what transfer we want to make because it's instinctive. The skill is not the instinct. The skill is then dissecting that and often going against your instinct if you think there's a better mm. move or sticking with it despite maybe the noise. So the thing I like is to have the the things that I hadn't thought of. So people making moves that hadn't occurred to me or pointing out mm. stats or, or highlights in matches that I hadn't seen. If I already know what I'm going to do, uh, I'm just going to confirmation bias myself into it. So at that point, there's not much point looking. So I go looking for ideas often yeah. as anything else. I think that's good. Well, that's the, that's the best way to, ha- to handle it. And that's how I try to use Twitter. Um, uh, because, so for example, so, and we mentioned him a couple of times already, Late Rising, completely different manager to me, completely different FPL manager uh, to me. But I will follow him and take on board what he says because it's completely different. And it might, I might think, no, but I might think, oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> and that's exactly that thing. But what you mentioned about the confirmation bias, you've basically got on your most people's Twitter feed, they've got thousands of people all going to Twitter with their own view. So I I don't often put my team up before deadline 
because I don't I don't care what six thousand people think of that transfer. I don't care. I care what some people think. I don't care what six. Who cares what six thousand people think about moving a particular player in? I do care perhaps how you know specific ten people think. And these aren't people just in a bubble of content creators because I'm not like that with with Twitter. I don't I don't see the how many followers they've got. You know, it could be someone with like two followers, but they've got the most expert advice around. And I'll listen to that, but not six thousand. It's too. It's just too much. It's too much. Um, there's an interesting. There's an interesting thing on the wisdom of crowds, and I. I genuinely don't know if it applies here because obviously this is kind of a skill based thing, and I guess what I'm going to talk about is more an estimation based thing. But humans are very, very bad at like making estimates, predictions. Mm-hmm. We are very bad at them individually. What's the weather going to be tomorrow? Without any information, we don't know. Um, the example that comes to mind is, I think there was a study done on, you know, the old game where you have to guess how many sweets are in a jar. Mm. Individually, humans are very, very bad at that. They miss by a long way. But if you get 100 people to guess how many sweets are in that jar and take the average of all their guesses, it's often very, very close to the truth. Mm. So, and again, I don't know if this applies to FBL because obviously there's a, it's not just an estimation thing, you know, there's a lot more into it. But there is something in the wisdom of crowds and rather than listening to an individual, maybe sticking up a poll, I mean, we do the captain poll on the website, right? It tends to often end on quite a good choice. So even if some crazy person captains a goalkeeper and you know someone else goes with, I don't know, a defender who isn't gonna play and someone else picks the obvious option, the mean result is probably going to be a relatively beneficial decision for us all. Again, just a super caveat there with, I'm not sure how it applies to FBL, but the estimating a number of sweets in a jar, it's surprisingly accurate if you get lots of opinions. And linked in with the noise <laughs> is um, there's something I've picked up on this season much more is this whole unfashionable player thing that I've been talking about the last few weeks. And I've been putting these tables up and they proved stunningly accurate. <laughs> the likes of Chris Woods, Joe Willock, Ferran Torres before his hat-trick. It's, it's pinpointing those sorts of players. And it, it was a simple thing of doing, of just simply looking at looking at the stats or looking at performance and thinking, well, which players wouldn't I get? Why? Perhaps I should get them. And that's that's the sort of player you should be getting. And that means you have to avoid a lot of noise. When I wildcarded, I didn't tell I didn't go on Twitter and say, I'm getting Chris Wooden, because I knew exactly, exactly what the response would be. I'll get six thousand people saying, Uh, oh, Bernie Striker, why are you getting a Bernie Striker? And you know, it's oh I've already got twenty people's meals and in, in you know, on my Facebook page every day I, I don't need six thousand people that and then i've got to think why are they thinking that as well so what i'm really into is, is progressing that more next season and and i like this sort of blind transfers or blind transfer decision to look at the stats and then just blot i might i hope make a, a scout cast you know regular you've got the table but you blank out the names you've just got this player is top here with an expected goal involvement Per ninety, whatever, absolutely top amongst strikers, and then you move it away like the mass singer, and oh my god, it's Chris Wood. Oh my god, it's Joe Willock, and um, you know that's that's the surprise. But then you think, why aren't I getting these players in? Amy, triple captains, Joe Willock, game week thirty eight. She's always going to remember that. Who isn't going to remember that? That's what FPL is all about. Um, so I, I like that, and I think I think I want to progress that a bit more and try and address my own personal biases about players or teams 
and try and just free myself for that and just go, no, I think, you know, objectively, this is a great player to get in um, just now. I mean, it's, it's also going to be, you know, I suppose in a way, your own personal bias and avoiding personal bias, but that's something to adapt. I mean, yeah, you've, you've for me, you've nailed, you've nailed it there. We, when you first raised this a few weeks ago, we discussed it again with the thinking fast and slow sort of analogy in there. And it's that I think Burnley are bad at scoring goals. I think Burnley strikers aren't attractive or cheap strikers aren't attractive. Yeah. Therefore, it doesn't matter what numbers say because I have a preformed yeah, opinion of exactly. this, therefore discounting information. And that is super good at stopping you getting hit by trucks. You know, yeah. hear loud noise, run other direction. Super good. Good that our brain does that. Very bad for FPL because you have these, these shortcuts in your brain that are good instinctively at keeping you alive. They are bad at making decisions that require a higher cognitive load. For example, assessing 50 strikers and lots of stats and watching matches and deciding which is the optimal approach. So, yeah, I mean, Joe Willock, Chris Wood, John Stones. I've got John Stones in. All I've got, John Stones is rubbish. Well, hey, presto, he wasn't. <laughs> Jesse Lingard is washed up. Hey, presto, he wasn't for, for, for a very beautiful period of, of the of the of the season um so yeah anyway they're, they're my two main lessons let's move on to you game week one here's your game week one side it's good it's good but didn't kick on <laughs> so um yeah just take us through your game week one side you've got 75 points big difference between sure. my side and yours is you leicester lots of leicester in there yeah oh at this point i thought hey i'm so clever i'm gonna do all again uh not quite there's a very lucky player in there so mccarthy in goal for two points uh, Alexander-Arnold with one, James Justin with nine, Andrew Robertson with four points. Andrew, to full name in there. Uh, so Maximam, we, a lot of us had him. He ended Project Restart well, I think. I think we thought he was going to play number 10. He started on the left. He got three points for me. I quickly moved him out. Thomas Suchek with two points. Spoken about him. Uh, Bamiyan captain with 14. I think that's a move a lot of people made, right? We thought there was some good gains to be made there. And he was a really good placeholder for yeah. City or Manchester United. That was a good move, actually, as well, yeah. Um, and then Mo Salah, vice-captain, 20 points against Leeds United on the first day. Shea Adams up front, loved his numbers. He just could not convert them. He got two points. Timo Werner covered him enough with five points. And then Jamie Vardy with 13. Those 13 points were, I believe, two penalties with zero shots outside of yeah. those penalties. So that was very fortunate. You know, that was that was me going, oh, Leicester, I think, did they have a good fixture? What was it? Did they play one of the newly promoted teams? I want to say, well, it's not showing me. Was it Fulham? West Brom. There we go. They won 3-0. Vardy got two penalties. So, oh, yeah. Vardy, good attacker against the promoted side. Lucky outcome, though. I was not predicting two penalties. It was also when penalties were that, I don't know if they were handballs or whatever, but we were high on penalties early in the season, weren't we? Uh, and then a pretty cheap bench. I like my cheap benches. In the past, you know, we're talking over courses of seasons now, not just this season. This season, a strong bench has actually been good because of all the nonsense with fixtures. But generally, I would actually advocate for a very cheap but playing bench. Mm. You get your money in the team, especially early in the season. Yeah. You need your money working for you. So I've got uh, Nyland, Nyland, uh, Mitchell, Burke and Ferguson on the bench who got six points between them. I like, I mean, what the difference between this and my one is, is not just Leicester and obviously Vardy getting two goals out of like his penalty penalties and not doing much else. Is the fact that you had Vardy there, and I had Martial instead of Vardy, and Martial on my bench, ah, not working so my, for me. Jamie Jamie Vardy became Martial for me in yeah. game week two. Yeah. Well, if I'd have done that move, I'd have still been about twenty points. I've been thirteen points better off for that particular move. Um, play the game week in front of you, and I think that is a lesson 
I'll definitely take into next season. Although I will say, you know, I spoke earlier about maybe sticking to this strategy that caused me some problems. Um, I'm not going to flick all the way through now, but I think if I recall, it was Vardy to Martial and then Aubameyang to KDB very quickly and then Hammers came in as well for me. Um, Hammers was more a, you know, I actually kind of wish I started the season with him. I was very close to doing it. Um, and then I wildcarded for Tottenham boys later. But the KDB and Martial moves in for Vardy and Aubameyang, they're not saying losing Vardy and Aubameyang was bad, but I'd sort of pin those transfers in from the summer. I was doing it. That was my strategy. I knew my game week one team and then I knew what I was going to morph into. And I think after a couple of weeks of seeing City and United not quite performing to what they could have done because late yeah. European involvement, yeah. not much rest over the summer, I possibly stuck too rigidly to that plan, which we spoke about having rules and plans and not being flexible. I think that was my very first mistake. And it possibly set me on a slightly slippery slope of not quite recovering from that and not adapting appropriately. And also, the, for example, Kane, Kane and Son. I, I was left that say, for quite a while. The, the notable absences, Kane and Son, same in my my first team. And and yes, okay, so Kane only did blank in the first week, but then they came. Him and Son did ever so well. Um, but it was it was what I I know why I didn't get them because. Spurs' early season schedule was brutal. They were playing like a game every two days, practically. They were playing. They were in the Euro, uh, the the qualifications for Europe. They they had this really punishing schedule. They had like no rest. We know what Kane's like with no rest as well. He's traditionally um, a slow starter um, coming into August. I think he scored. I think it took him quite some time, quite a few campaigns down the line for him to actually score in August. It was a thing, wasn't it? Kane can't score in August. And then, and I didn't do it. But the thing was, Spurs were really great <laughs> at the beginning. So clearly, more I will, more games I will say them. they were very, they were very good at converting those chances. We had the whole, you know, XG and, yeah. um, you know, big chances discussion. Spurs weren't good as a team. They were not good at all. I know they were very high up to start with, but they, their results were not deserving based on their performances. Mm. But hey, it's FPL. We don't really care about actual team performance that much. It's about how Son and Kane do. And again, their returns were very, very impressive and possibly not entirely sustained over the long term by those numbers. But we know they are good at converting the types of chances they got. It was a, you know, it's a very low percentage, high reward play, I think, starting with those two or even picking them up early. But it paid off handsomely for people who did. And when that kept happening over the course of a few weeks, it went from sort of, I don't know what a low percentage, not lucky, but a low percentage play to a, a reasonable decision. And I, in fact, wildcarded to get those two in and it Im- improved my early season form, actually. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I mean, we, people can think about specific players, but I think the overarching thing from that, same with my start, be flexible, <laughs> be flexible and, you know, watch out. You don't know what's going to happen. The What you think will happen might not happen. And, yeah. and Game week one in general is an interesting one because mm. we have all summer, we build up to it. It's so important. We look at, you know, all the preseason friendlies. We have forever to tinker with our team. We put so much on it. And people are absolutely right. A good start is great for the season. And, you know, you don't get unlimited transfers in game week two unless you use your wild card. So, of course, having a useful team is a very good way to start the FL season. But I think it can be slightly overblown. Yeah. Like, we could possibly, you know, if you start well, you could then be reluctant to start making more adventurous moves. If you start poorly, it could kick you into making adventurous moves that mean you more quickly respond to the situations presented to us in a new season. And I'm not really sure which side I fall on. Typically, when I start well, I do well. But that season that I was 200th and then 14,000th, I started really, really well. I was like top 100 for a bit. 
Well, it clearly didn't help that much. I drifted off in relative terms. Uh, and then this year I started kind of okay, drifted off and then did badly. I think we can put too much into it. And it's more about how you respond. And this comes back to your point, Joe, with sometimes maybe it's not the exact players that are important. No, of course, the players are important. But it's how quickly can you move out yeah. of a game week one team into something how different. Run away from and it. I'm not saying be, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying be so super strict on structure that you you can't possibly have that player that's in form or you can't respond to fixtures. But maybe don't price yourself out of making, you know, big moves early on or yeah. cost yourself eight and 12 points when you could cost yourself four. Mm. I do think early hits can be very profitable. Yeah. Though we, we can be nervous about it, but you have all season to make those points back. Yeah, and I think I think you will. And I think it's shown that you that you can um, as well. Um, I've, put, I've got your team of the year. So more positive for this is from FPL Optimized. You got that on your um, notes? You can go, yep. go through. So yeah, this is your team of the year. Do you want to go through that? Some of the players? No problem. So Martinez in goal, just like everyone else, probably, apart from you with Edison. Only 57 points for me, though. So mm. talking about, there's a theme going to come out in a minute, identifying things late this year. So Martinez, uh, Robertson with 94, Cancelo 77, Alexander-Arnold 70. Then Salah with 201 and nine captains. Fernandez with 194. So both of those lower than yours. Yeah. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, 162. And Son, 140. Oh, sorry. Difference. 100 points difference yeah. of those two players alone in terms of captains. The interesting difference between our two was uh, I've got Salah, 201, Fernandez, 194, De Bruyne, 162, and Son, 147 as my yeah. midfield. So, you know, Better decently spread. high scores as like an average and all quite premium. Whereas you've got Fernandez and Salah with over 250 mm. and then Gundogan and Suchek with 94 and 85. You can, talking about liking midfield, mm. you can clearly see the strategies there. Yeah. But then you've got Kane with 262. I've got Kane with 140. Yeah, so I didn't go off far of, you know, half a number of points on him. And then possibly down to captains as well. You captained him nearly twice as often as me. Mm. And then Watkins and Bamford rounding out my, um, mm. my full team as well with 100-ish points, uh, both. So I think already, I mean, you finished higher than me, so you're going to have more points. I'm, but there's I'm that like really interesting fan. difference between points. the midfielders. I've got more points from Bamford <laughs> than you. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, if we want to come on to yeah. my lessons learned, Leeds is top of my list. Yeah. Um, they, were the star, so, they, they were the star team, definitely. Yeah. They were the Wolves. So this, this, is, this is the first time that I've ever played FBL with the team that I support in the Premier League. Oh, yeah. And again, we talk about coming off a good season and being arrogant. I thought, no stress. I've heard people talk about it. You know, you support your team, you do FPL. It's a separate thing. No worries. Um, I'd like to think I know Leeds very well. But I was aware I could have a bias. So I entered the season by going, I won't have any Leeds players because it will avoid a conflict of emotions. It will avoid me, I don't know, clinging on to Bamford because I think he's great, but no one else does. You know, if you think back to September, that probably was the opinion most people had. But it ended up going the opposite way for me. It played against me. I avoided Leeds players Instead of preferring them, because I was a Leeds fan, maybe you might prefer Brighton players, I avoided them and was aware that, you know, oh no, I might like them too much, so I'll just avoid them. <laughs> we saw we saw Dallas came out, we saw Bamford come out, and I was like, no, no, I'll just stick, steer clear of it. So I somehow managed to not bias myself towards Leeds, but bias myself against them and ended up doing the exact opposite of what I intended it, to do, it, but for the same wrong reason. It depends on the team, because obviously I'm, I'm relatively new to being a premier of an FPL player with my team, Brighton. But um, especially under Potter, I'm blessed with him massive rotation a lot of the time. And also um, a sort of setup whereby there isn't like a Bamford, there isn't that 15 goal a season striker. 
and so it was there's, there's just often simply better alternatives for other teams in FPL um, but when Hewton was manager I was I was I was off I would often have a Brighton defender because a Brighton defender at home they've traditionally been very good and value and Gross was someone who was in my team a lot and Glenn Murray was the one who was on my team a lot but yeah I mean if I if I was a Leeds fan yeah the likes of say Dallas Bamford Rafina they played every week you know apart from injury and so you're quite lucky there um it's, it's annoying because they're all going to be priced really high next season um, <laughs> but I, I guess you would probably go for them next time if they were they were valued okay i i have one in mind and everyone listening who's listened even one time before can probably guess but yeah. Stuart dallas is going to be a six million pound midfielder i would imagine yeah luke ailing i'm hoping will still be a 4.5 million pound yeah. defender I have my eye on him. Now, don't get me wrong. If we sign a right back, or I don't think we will, but if we do, or if we have bad fixtures, I'm not going to go into him just because I love him. But I think there could be a little play there. I think a lot of people will go for Dallas without him maybe being as good as he was this season, because at the very least, he'll be a midfielder. Yeah, so, I mean, looking at your team, so there were differences with my one, but there were more positives. There's a, You've got way many more players that you've got at least 100 points for than, than I did, whereas mine were clustered around certain players. So, you know, I was you know glad that Fernandez, Salem, Kane did me so well all the season. If you, the interesting thing on those Salah, Fernandez, De Bruyne type picks, I don't know if you've got the graphic there, Joe, but the, you know, where it shows the spread of when you had the player. Ah, got well, I've got this as well, because this is, this is from um, FPL uh, Optimised, I think, um, and it's timing of ownership. So I've got, yeah, I've got, this is your team um, from, um, with Salah, Fernandez. Bamford and Son and what they show is um, the sort of greedy grey areas when you actually had them in your lineup. if they're purple that's when you bench them and if there's no colour there that's when you didn't have them so it shows when you had them for their halls or lack of halls essentially and there's a there's a multiplication on there as well times two times yeah. three which shows yeah. captains or triple oh. captains um, you have oh cool you have all four so one of the things I went for this season is I didn't have Salah Fernandez, as you can see, for a big mm. chunk there. And both of them I didn't have for quite a while after that uh, game week 27 wildcard, I think I did. Yeah. And I obviously took out Salah first. I actually think that is one of the few things I played well. If you look mm. at how I gathered their points, I probably got most of the peaks there and avoids, avoided some yeah. of the serious troughs. That is basically the move that changed me from 400k to 130 in the end, going that different direction. Yeah. As a contrast, if you look at Son and Banford, I think that nicely highlights how I managed to capture the opposite. Yeah. Capture a lot of their poorer scores and miss their good scores. You can see Banford there so clearly with my my you know weird fuddlement over leads <laughs> and how I missed all those early scores, then finally went into him and managed to get his low scores, got rid of him, missed a high score, went back to him, had loads of low scores. I played that very, very poorly. Um, we spoke about it on here a few times, actually. I, ident- I identified, or we identified, sorry, some good trends with him when he was in form, when he wasn't in form. I just executed very poorly on my own team. And then Son sort of shows a similar thing there, but most importantly, it shows how, and this is for everyone, his highest peak there is in game week two, when he got four goals, all assisted by Hurricane, I believe it was. That just shows that how many of his points came in that week. And if people didn't get that, I don't think you can blame yourself because the signs weren't there. You know, anyone who did get it, not saying that's luck, fair enough. But no one saw four goals coming or whatever it was. 
but it's more about then how I played it afterwards. And there's a lot of troughs there that I've managed to capture, which is not ideal, especially when Gareth Bale came in. But there is a, there is a trend with that, with Son. Um, and in the past, it's been, say, Van der Vaart, Bale. It's been these midfielders at Spurs. It's really hard to predict their hauls. And they do haul. Traditionally, over the years, I've always had big hauls from Spurs midfielders. And I've always dodged them as well. I've got them and dodged them. And loads of people have. Get them in. Son's done me really well in the past. I think, I wonder if, you know, we talk about strategies and learnings from previous seasons and whatnot. Before this season, Son was a nailed on move when Kane got injured. Because he would move to the centre, he would get chances, he would score goals. He also was, and I don't normally talk about this because it's not something I think carries that much weight. He was quite a streaky player, you know. Mm probably because he was playing up front when Kane was injured. But often his points would all come in groups together for whatever reason, fixtures, you know, form, if that's, you know, that's what you want to call it or, or because Kane was injured. And I used to be quite good at capturing that this year, his role changed a lot. You know, his points actually came Mm -hmm. alongside Kane this year or when Bale came in, they got better and then got worse again. So the, the Son strategy in isolation changed this year. And I don't think I dealt very well with that. Speaking of which along those lines, something else I would take from this season and I know about myself just generally playing FPL. I am good at identifying, say, trends that are well, re- well, well evidenced. And I know that sounds super obvious. Of course we all are. But what I actually mean is things like your um, goals imminent table. Mm. So something where someone isn't scoring goals, but the underlying numbers, or you're seeing, on, seeing them on match of the day going close constantly. I am very good at picking those up. I think, you know, I hope that doesn't sound arrogant. I think that's one of my strengths. And getting on those players that are showing strength, but not actually getting the returns yet and taking advantage of it. Last year when I had a good season, I did it with Danny Ings, James Madison, uh, Jamie Vardy, a couple of others that I forget. Got on them early, got returns that you know looked like they were well backed up. On the flip side of that, I am very poor at picking up returns that come out of nowhere might be the wrong way of putting it. But your, your Lingard, for example, we have no histories to suggest that he was going to do what he started doing. However, when he started doing it, his numbers were super impressive. But maybe I fell into that bias of going, yeah, but he hasn't done in the past, so he's not on my radar. And I don't think I ever beat Lingard, because by the time I got around to having a space for him, he was kind of a bit done with those numbers and those returns. Uh, Similar seasons when Aaron Ramsey, Yaya Torre, people like that have done really, really well. Those often coincide with my poorest seasons, Mm -hmm. because I'm either bad at picking up on, you know, trends that come out of nowhere, or I'm slow slow to pick well, up on them. I'm not sure which it is, but that's when I do poorest. Well, I'm just going to back that up with a, a slide of your transfers. But before you do, you mentioned the goals imminent table, because I've got to mention this. Game week 38, okay. Um, essentially top, because Jot- Jota was top, but second was Fornals, scored two. So Fornals was on there. <laughs> the goals so imminent good. table predicted a return from him, and he got two. Kane was next. McGoldrick, both scored as well. Um few others on there uh red <laughs> redmond he's always there um and alexander arnold was there and Werner. um but the fornals kane mcgoldrick all predicted there so it does show the that there was a, this season has shown me a lot of faith in underlying stats and i know from what you were saying um just someone have a look at your transfers this is from the fpl retro um tools um there and once again this is good exactly what you were saying that that move fernandez out sterling out game week 27 to bale and de bruyne both had their moments from game week 27 onwards and fernandez did pretty much nothing (laughs) 
So that was, as you were saying, you spotted that trend there. Um, and there was a trend with Bale, perhaps playing for a new contract, I don't know. But, you know, he certainly had a, had a haul or two in him. And your worst transfers, hard, same, same as my ones, hardly anything. You did Suchek and Bamford out to Gundogan and Calvert-Lewin oh. in game week 21. I remember o- that one. Though. That, that that was... o- but it only cost you 12 points. And I got Gundogan in around that time and he was great. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of people that, that, did. That, that, that whole transfer there, that whole move is a really good example. It illustrates my weakness quite well, I think, yeah. which is... Uh, Suchek, I can't even remember why I had him again, probably because Price or whatever. Um, I think he might have scored that week, and I think Bamford might have scored too. Every chance Gundogan did, I guess Calvert-Lewin didn't. You know, the Bamford story is all in there, you know, taking him out, bringing him in at the wrong times, not getting over my Leeds bias. Um, and then Gundogan, I was slightly late to that. Um, his, I think his were backed up by the numbers, but I had, oh, the City priorities, I believe. So a bit late to that one. But, you know, that whole move there, even though it's not too many points to lose, I think it nicely sums up my failings this season. And hopefully, you know, the, the positive transfer move there for 30 points is something I can do more of in the future, which is making, you know, sort of rational, well, ev- evidence decisions. I just need to improve. Maybe it's maybe I'm slow to them because, you know, someone like Lingard did have the numbers, but maybe it took me too long to come round to the idea of taking advantage of him. as the pick, or, well, I, I, as think, a pick. I think in terms of your worst transfer, if it's only 12 points with one week and that was the worst thing all season, I think that's pretty good. Um, I think we can round off with... Um, you Have you seen my benching points? Oh, let's have a look at that again. Um, it's on top right in there, game week 23, 29 points. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. That so, was one of the... So I know you often say about, you know, you don't like points on your bench. Yeah. I don't mind points on my bench. I'd rather them. have points in I, my team than not, because yeah, it means yeah. I've got the right players. I, I, yeah, I'd like to own them rather than not own them. Yeah. But oh, okay. play them, yeah. Well, no, not naturally, yeah, <laughs> and that was a mistake. So I guess, you know, maybe the last little thing I want to look at for next season and again it's not a rule it's not you know well don't bench players or do bench players I made some poor decisions there and I'd rather have those points in my team but though you know that 29 points isn't a week where I scored 100 I think I scored quite a low number I made some poor selection decisions and left myself with maybe a a squad that wasn't well optimized to the situation in front of me and I think I probably benched the most points I've ever benched. That 29 points isn't an outlier. Yeah, got, I had uh, a 25 in there. I had a 23 just, in there. It was crazy. I just put mine on the screen. Yeah, I've got the most was 16. Um, oh, and actually, my bench boost, I got 15. So for me, my bench boost was really successful because I pretty much got as much as I could have done this season from a bench boost. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, my bench boost was really poor. There you go. Another... It's that, I mean, we know why I had a poor season. Well, poorer than what I would have liked. I keep mentioning things I did poorly. My bench boost, I used that very inefficiently. I think I was one of those people who did the, the triple leads bench boost. Yeah. Uh, and I know exactly why I did that. I fell into the psychological trap of everyone had used it, had a few points in me. I just wanted to get it gone and used. And I didn't use it in a good week at all. The season before, I was forced to use my bench boost in a single game week, and it was rubbish. And um, the bench boost this time was in a double game week. And ever since the bench boost has come in, bench boost double game week, just do it. Because Mitchell, for example, is a great example. Your Palace defender can end up with all they need is a clean sheet and suddenly you've got eight points from from a from a cheap bench fodder rather than just the two points. Um, let's have a look at um, some of the questions and sort of lessons learned from the community before we round before we leave um, so these ones I'll read out I'll read out this one uh, Claret Parrot um, says uh, that he's learned beyond doubt 
beyond reasonable doubt or beyond doubt um, that you really don't need to go for that differential as in that um, special player everyone's talking about one rogue pick or captaincy every few weeks is more than enough to steal at March it's the timing that's crucial finally I've learned you really don't need to take hits proper planning is far more important I think that's a lot we've been talking about than catching a player's one plum fixture I took zero hits this season okay um, it took a hell of a lot of willpower oh, so clearly some luck too and ended up at 436 in the overall rankings so I well I can done, tell us a similar story my my third best ever season something like that I this is a long time ago I enforced a rule on myself I would take no hits for that entire season deliberately now of course that's not enough of a sample size to know if that's why I did well you know if you're if you're doing well you don't need to take hits but it was interesting because it certainly made me play in a in a certain way um and i quite i quite like that and uh carrot power also says thanks for the scout cards uh, a real perk from working from home and uh, thank you thanks for the thanks uh, shirtless says last year he finished with two two thousand six hundred and eighteen two thousand six hundred eighteenth with two thousand three hundred ninety nine points no hits this year uh, finished 600k with 2250 points um so one thing that's um differently that's happened to him differently is that he didn't have a really big spike week he calls it and i think this is a really good point as well that um in seasons where i've done well i've i've mentioned it many times the fabled game week eight uh, which was the one where all the southampton differentials that those in the fancy football scout community owned like Tadic just went off. And at the same time, the popular captain Aguero happened to trounce Newcastle that week. It was huge. We're talking double game week scores in a single game week. And I went into the top 5K from nowhere. And that's what he's talking about there. He's talking about the need for that big spike week. So look for those as well. They can be really important. They can give you that real head start, take you from 2 million to 1 million, 1 million to um, 200,000. You know, it's really good to get that. Um, uh, Tony D was saying, same as every year, he takes too many hits. Um, FPL uh, T asks us for predictions on prices and positional change as well. So you've mentioned one already, Dallas. Dallas is going to be a six million midfielder. Um, and I would say overall, look at the prices this season. What FPL do, they're very, you know, okay, John Lundstrom stands out because it was the first time I can remember in 13 years FPL making a mistake. Of, of, of putting a midfielder as a defender and making him that cheap but they're really annoyingly quite good <laughs> at doing pricing and what you'll find is a lot of the prices of this season what they finish as that's a good indicator of what they're going to end up with and also they look at news so they look at um you know an understanding of rotation will it, how did they know that Carl Darlow was going to be a 5 million, was he 5 million, 5.5? Why did they say the Newcastle backup goalkeeper would be so good? And he was for while he was in the team. Um, They do know what they're doing. So have a look at the overall, just look at the prices this season. See, uh, Raheem Sterling has gone down in price. He's going to be going down in price. Bamford's, you know, went up in price. He's going to be going up in price. It's really just look at the prices, whatever they are now. They're going to be they're going to be broadly similar to what they are now, not what they started with. But yeah, I, I mean, I know this is super obvious, but 
there are definitely edges to be found there. And, you know, that's what fantasy football scout is going to spend all summer doing, I suspect, finding those players. But someone like a Dallas moving into midfield and being six million sounds like the opposite to me. You know, his points potential probably goes down. Mm. Um, whereas, let's say, a Kai Havertz and Timo Werner, mentioned them a few times, but if their price is, if Timo Werner is, say, 8.5 million striker, Kai Havertz stays about 8.5 million midfielder, mm. I think there's an edge to be found there because they both ended the season decently, especially in terms of their numbers and, you know, eye test as well. They looked good. Uh, Timo Werner still has that problem of being offside. But Kai Havertz, especially, if they're going to be consistent in the first 11 next year, I think they could be slightly underpriced for the returns they will bring you. Of course, we're interested in fixtures there. One of my favourite ones ever was Kevin De Bruyne. It might have been a couple of seasons ago now. When he was made, was he about 9.5 million? Mm. Because he spent a large part of the previous season injured. Yeah. But when he actually played, there was no difference. Yeah, for whatever reason, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, he was actually worth about 10.5 million, mm. probably. But they priced him lower because I think he just spent so long injured or whatever, he didn't have the points there to back it up. We weren't sure on how he was going to play. I jumped on him immediately, and I think I had him almost all season, just as an undervalued returner of points. Those, I mean, no, we won't know until we see the list. But those are the ones to really take advantage of. Of course, that's what we're all looking for. Um, and then combining them with fixtures, of course. And the classic out-of-position thing is always a nice thing to look for. But we really don't know that until it comes up. What do we think about, you know, the this time last year was that conversation about Aubameyang, midfielder or forward, mm. Martial, Rashford, uh, Salah and Mane. Yeah. What do we think they're going to do? You know, off the back of this question, what do we think they're going to do with that this summer? And are there gains to be found there? Well, I mean, I think... I mean, I'll echo what I said last time. It's, it's the Sky game made all of those players forwards. And it said, it's not, I wouldn't say ruined it, but it, it ruined the, the classification because there was about 20 strikers forwards that you want at any one time because you've got almost any anyone apart from De Bruyne in Man City was a striker. Um, you've, got, you've got Mane, Salah, Obviously, you've got Bamiang as well, Sterling. Um, you've got all of the. You've got the Greenwood, Greenwood, Rashford, Martial. Um, you've got all of those as well. So I don't think it's good for the game to make them all forwards. Um, but it. But there is a sort of um, a concern of duplicity because you think, well, you know, why, you know, Salah and Mane, you know, they're essentially wingers. Um, but then why is Bamiang? Um, listed as a midfielder, and and it and it goes on. Why is Martial, um, and why is Greenwood and Rashford? Why are they listed as they're listed? Um, Rashford and Greenwood will they swap around? I don't know. I mean, there is an inconsistency, but it's tough to I tough mean, to call, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of I think the decision they've made this year was the best one they could hmm. because it's not just about you know intuitively, apart from maybe Aubameyang, but that was because he played on, on the left all year. But for most of those players, Salah and Mane, we all intuitively understand that they are midfielders in that, you know, in that super 90s understanding of positions. Even though Salah's average position is up front and Firmino's is basically in the midfield, it kind of feels more intuitively correct they are placed that way around, even though maybe that isn't how the football turns out. Because we want to go with this very rigid idea of a defender, midfielder, striker. Um, the ones that are weird are maybe when someone spends half their time in one position and half another. Rashford and Martial, decent examples of that. They swapped because Martial up front, Rashford on the left was what happened most of the time. Aubameyang could maybe swap back. I think he's probably spent, I'm not sure on this, but he's probably spent more time up front this year than he has on the left. Yeah. Salah and Mane will stay midfielders because I think we need 
you know, the other side of this is then the, the game side of it. Yeah. You know, we need the big hitting midfielders for the, the game to work with the prices and the team and, structures. You can have more make, midfielders. They need, they need to give us a choice. They need to give us part of the game. And if Salah and Mane are the same price, no one's going to get Mane. But if Mane is a one and a half, two million cheaper than Salah, got a decision to make. Um, at nine million, no one's going to get Havertz. 7.5, 8, then you've got a decision. Because you're dealing they with... They must rate, have those conversations. And and you need to... Yeah, and, and, they, and they will. I'm sure they will. Um, and you've got, to, you've got to price accordingly to that. Also, you, you often get... Um, I thought... I mentioned about the, uh, Van Persie when he came in at 14 million in the second season at Manchester United. It was too much. I knew it was too much then. I remember lots of people saying it was essential. And I just thought, nah, it doesn't matter. I mean, even... I think Ronaldo... I think Ronaldo might have been 14 million. He was certainly getting that way, but he's probably the only player I've known that's worth it. I mean, none of them. Are. Fernandez uh, isn't worth it. Sanders not worth. It. No one. No one. None of the current crop players are worth 14 million apart from your Ronaldo. Gareth Bale was priced at that before before he transferred was, out. Wasn't yeah, he? exactly. He I, was before going to Real Madrid. He was priced at that. And yeah, Thierry yeah. Henry maybe. But it was before. A long time ago. I think he went or he was going before game week one. So yeah, yeah, but we, he, he we, never played a minute. We never, um, we never he was 14 million and never played. That as well, and of course, Gareth Bale's um, best. Thierry, Thierry Henry was yeah. probably it, the other one that was priced at that, and probably fair enough because he had yeah. 20 goals and 20 assists in the middle season. Um, but yeah, Kane is someone going to watch out for because he's got the assists and the goals. Um, if he is at, say, for example, City, maybe, maybe 14 million, maybe he is in that Ronaldo category. But if he's still at I Spurs, mean, I'm not paying 14 million. Um, City, City signing in a clinical striker could be, and I say this cautiously. But it could be the closest to an automatic pick that we've had in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Whether that's Haaland, well, I don't think he's leaving this summer, but whether that's Haaland or Harry Kane, I don't know if Harry Kane will go to City. I think for Man City, the smarter move is Haaland. You know, a, a similar level of goal scorer, but with much more career ahead of him, probably for a cheaper price and a better sell on if that's what they want. But either way, if City sign a striker who is clinical, well, that could be very, very tasty. Here's, here's a couple of other thoughts from the community. Vishnav um, talking about holding on to premiums. Um, and fear of missing out. And I think your Bruno Fernandes out move in game 27 is a good example of that. Yeah. A lot of people, I kept him because I actually thought he was going to do well, but I know a lot of other people may have wanted to, but fear is effective ownership. Um, so that's a good example. There, for me on them. It's the, so players like that, players who were 12 million odd, I need to be able to captain them to get value yeah, out yeah, of them. Yeah. So they're still going to be the top scorers in the game, but if I'm not going to captain them, that money spent on them is not efficiently yeah. used. So I often try and look at, whether I'm going to captain them in the upcoming game weeks to decide if I need to hold on to them or not. Um, Robin Lennon points out, be careful of your non-playing players, especially goalkeepers. So, for example, you got Steele in. I did this exact same thing. Got Steele in and it locked him out of a third Villa player. And Villa were packed full of value right across the park. And right. same with me. I, I did the same, yeah. I um, I wanted to get Jack Grealish in for periods of the, of the season. I don't think I got Jack Grealish in at all because I blew him in Steele. <laughs> I couldn't get him in. Um, but anyway, um, Dave asks, who are the best promoted assets? I will say, um, rather than listen to us, have a look at um, the articles that David and Neil will be doing on promoted assets on Fantasy Football Scout. Every summer for years, that has been one of my staple reads because <laughs> that analyzes all of the underlying stats, their performance in the, in the championship, but then sort of extrapolates them and assesses, you know, Predict, tries to predict how how well they would do this season. Also, it's good for news as well. So, for example, you could get a completely nailed on brilliant player, 
but they're actually going to be off or they've been playing out of position, but that's not going to happen. Um, I know that their 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 knowledge of, of Leeds, for example, and Fulham, these were all invaluable in whether I got in or didn't get in players early on for them. Um, I would say from uh, previous um, uh, research I did on for the Sky game with Luke, um, Norwich midfielders. <laughs> They are teeming with assists and goals and potential for bonus. Um, and they look like they'll be good value. Uh, Buendia, I was reading, though, um, is interesting. Arsenal, he is interested in Arsenal. That may happen. In which case, Buendia at Arsenal could be great. Might not be. He's a wait and see for me. Um, but, for example, as we've seen, Pukki, Campwell, a whole bunch of midfielders um, could be could be interesting. Wendy's numbers are incredible. Well, the so, Premier yeah, League he, quality, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he did it in the Championship and the Premier League in terms of the underlying numbers. So if he, it's more about the team in that one, isn't it? Like, yeah. if he's in a team that can help him produce those numbers and convert them into actual points, good times. But if Arsenal still struggle, he yeah. could maybe be a trap. Yeah. Um, obviously, Tony, uh, if Brentford go up. Oh, I was going to say... Promoted striker. Promoted um, striker. Often one there. Promoted striker. Uh, Tony, Tony looks like the one. Oh, I will say, for every Bamford, there's an Ebanks Blake. So, um, <laughs> tread with caution, but they can be absolute gold. Zaki at Wigan was in my second season. Oh, I remember. Oh. And he scored all the goals in pre-season, <laughs> didn't I mean, he? maybe my favourite Egyptian, even more than Salah <laughs> in the game. Um, just a few more here. Karam, uh, not jumping on bandwagons, hurt him a lot. For example, Martinez, Chilwell, Gundogan, Lingard, Calvert-Lewin, Bamford. Um, FPL, uh, Ron Manager, says that going with a fairly heavily template team could be a good way to have um, continuous overall rank improvements. Um, he's a, a bit like me, he's only had two red arrows for, for largely for this part of the season. But unfortunately, he's only moved up 100k to 41k. That's still pretty good. But I see what he means. If he was doing well, why didn't he move up a bit further? And that was, that was um, you know, that's something to take forward that you perhaps uh, have a template team, but you've got to mix it up with one or two. And going back to that, what I was saying about Tom Freeman with his idea of, of a fourth midfielder, could be, it could be anyone in your team, but just be a bit different with maybe one or two players. But don't go all to, to town on it. Um, FPL Militant um, echoes what we were saying about 3 5 2. Um, uh, dark side of the loon says jump on purple patch as soon as possible which is what Karen was alluding to there um, Zen Arcade I've picked him out because it's one of my favourite Husker Do albums but um, Zen Arcade says the only thing I'll take away from the season not to panic if I have a poor start and to make sure I don't shoot myself in the foot by making decisions which I know to be stupid for example selling Kane based on one poor match that's what we're talking about Kane didn't start game week one well. Game week two onwards, absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. Runaway uh, says, biggest lesson learned from me, I will completely ignore the bench boost chip uh, this year. So um, I, I would say if you can use it in a double game week, do it. But don't... I, I, I kept saying I hated the chip because um, you make decisions about the rest of your team all based on this one week where you can get, as I showed around 15 to 16 points that's what you're looking at 16 points it's not much at all so it's um not a great chip really um um and finally granville remember him so he was on the scout cast when it started game week one uh granville it's a fitting end i think 
Um, Granville says, I've learned that there's no point in planning to play the game differently from year to year, because I never do, he says. I just accept that as long as you keep to a rough set of guidelines, nothing else is in your power, and the rest of it is just down to luck. That should see you rise uh, to around top 20k every year, uh, give or take a few thousand. So there we go. That's I love I love that that's like contrary to most of the things yeah. I've said during this as well. So I did, I did ignore me and listen to Granville. Fair uh, enough. And that's why ever since Granville <laughs> stopped doing the Scoutcast, because uh, he was busy with other things, everyone in the chat and on Twitter says, bring Granville back, because he says things like that. And that's what people want to hear. Um, he did quite well this year, didn't he? I know he's yeah. above me. Yeah. Well, as he says, um, he's just, you know, nothing else is in his power. And he, and he, and he's, he said, I think he got in the, definitely in the top 20K easily, I think. Yeah, um, fair so, play. Well done. There, he's right. <laughs> Uh, Joe, I was just looking. One of the questions we had there, just about you know players for next season, whatever. Mm. I was just very quickly looking at like some. I won't go into detail on this, and you can make your own mind up on them. But some targets I'd have in mind: are Sanchez, Brighton goalkeeper; mm. Luke Ayling, Trent andor Robbo. So Brighton Havertz and, and Spain goalkeeper is in the uh, national. Very side. nice, very nice. Um, yeah, Havertz and Werner covered them plenty. Uh, Man City, there's going to be some decisions to make there. That's KDB, a striker, covered that a little bit. Uh, their defence, maybe. Promoted striker, we mentioned Tony there. I think that's a very good shout if he comes up. And then the Leeds midfield. I'm sure this is something we'll cover in pre-season, but we are looking for a left-back and a central midfielder. If our midfield changes, it could change the options. And as we saw this year, I think it could be very profitable. So something Ooh, to keep an eye on. Okay, that's something to look out for. Definitely look, um, well, follow you on Twitter, but also for, for, the, for the Leeds info, but also have a look at the articles on Fantasy Football Scam. I'm sure David and Neil will be all over those. Um before we go, I want to remind people about the members area. Obviously, lots of uh, opts of data that we've had there. So do have a look um, on site for more details there. Uh, also, thank you, uh, everyone, for watching and listening for, for the for the season and all your kind comments on social media. I do, do read them all. Um, it's been lovely to read. And um, uh, Seb and I will be back next season. You'll be pleased. We've been been rehired for, uh, and we're going to be joined by a new regular host. Um, but more on that and on uh, but in the meantime Seb um, thanks for a great season it's been one of my favourites oh, as I said well, weirdly oh well yeah I mean mate thank you so much for having me I mean you do a beautiful job every it's, week on this it's been good. So thank we, you we, so much for uh, after you please no, I was <laughs> going to say it's going to be good that we're back next season so more of the yeah same. I know I've, I've run out of good things to say. Leeds are, Leeds are boring now. We've we've spoken about them for a year, so I'll be useless. But, but thank you to yourself. Thank you for Scout for you know letting me talk about nonsense for an hour or two a week. And thank you so much for everyone who watches and listens. Like we'd probably still do it if you weren't here, but no one would actually let nah, us do it. No so thank you so much for making it what it is, sending in the questions and listening and all that nonsense. Um, so for the final time, 2020-21 on the Scoutcast, it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye all. 